I am so excited about this episode that you are going to be able to hear today. I have a guest on the show, Rachel Parlett, and she is going to be diving into all things 21st century classroom. We are going to specifically be diving into using multimedia to support readers in a 21st century classroom, but you're going to be able to use and implement everything that she has shared across different subjects, which is going to be just so incredible. So I want to share a little bit about Rachel before we get started. Rachel Parlett has been an educator for over 16 years, having spent most of her time teaching fourth grade. Currently, she is the founder and creator of The Classroom Nook, which is an educational company that supports upper elementary teachers with resources that make learning interactive, engaging, and fun for both teachers and students. She is also the host of a podcast called The Classroom Commute, where she shares tips, strategies, and best teaching practices for a 21st century classroom. Most recently, Rachel, along with her husband, Jacob, have founded a second educational company called Linktivity Learning, which is a membership that provides teachers with a growing library of interactive digital resources known as Linktivities. Rachel believes that classrooms should be student-centered, hands-on, and collaborative, and she places a huge focus on multimedia learning, ensuring that students are able to experience that and can thrive in a 21st century classroom. I am so excited for you all to get to hear a conversation that I got to have with Rachel about being able to support your readers, your students in a 21st century classroom. And if you are ready to learn more, we will meet you inside. Welcome to The Literacy Dive, a podcast for teachers who want to take a deeper dive into all things reading and writing. I'm your host, Megan Polk. My number one passion is, you guessed it, all things literacy and supporting teachers like you. Join me each week to learn teacher tips and actionable step-by-step strategies to help you grow as an educator. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the Literacy Dive podcast. I am so excited about this episode because as you heard in the introduction, we have a special guest and this is actually a topic that we have not had on the podcast in just right under a hundred episodes. And so I'm so excited to bring on our special guest, Rachel, to the podcast. So Rachel, before we get started, I would love it if you could just share a little bit about yourself, who you are just so that we can get to know you a little bit better. And then we're going to dive into this topic of how we can support our readers and our learners in a 21st century classroom. Yeah. Thanks, Megan. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Super excited to talk about multimedia learning and 21st century instruction with you and your listeners. If anybody doesn't know me, my name is Rachel Parlett, and I am the person, I guess, behind the classroom nook and a couple other things. I began teaching in 2006, and I taught fourth grade for most of my teaching career. When I was in the classroom, I absolutely loved spending time before and after school in the summer. I was like that teacher that was always in the classroom (laughs) all the time. And one of my favorite things was lesson planning, which I know is not everybody's favorite. Uh, I was going to say, whoa, that would not be my favorite thing, but we need people like you to help us. Well, it just, it became very clear that that was my passion. So in 2011, I began the classroom nook 
And that's where I began sharing all the resources that I would create for my own students with other teachers. And I, you know, really began specializing in resources that incorporated 21st century teaching practices. And most recently, I kind of took that the next step forward. And I founded alongside with my husband, another educational technology company called Linktivity Learning. And we provide teachers with a library of digital multimedia learning tools for students to use in the classroom and even at home. And aside from teaching and all that kind of stuff, I am married. I've got two kids and a dog. We're in New York. And that's me in a nutshell. Thank you so much for sharing. I mean, you are just so incredible. So amazing. I love just hearing your story. I love seeing your creations. I love just kind of like following all the things that you're doing. And so I'm so happy that you are able to join us um, for this episode. So yeah, thank you for having me. I just feel like every time we hear this expands like back from social studies when it's like 17th century, 18th <laughs> century, the 20th century. And so we hear these with the 21st century, but I know that it goes far deeper than just naming the century. So can mm-hmm. you kind of just walk us in like just a very general open us up with letting us know what is a 21st century classroom and just kind of sharing the different components of what a true 21st century classroom can look like. Yeah, that's a great question because we hear these buzzwords and we don't always know what they mean. And immediately, I think a lot of teachers think, well, am I doing a 21st century classroom? Like, (laughs) is that something? Am I, did I miss the boat? And I'm here to say no. So I want to you know, put that out there right away. You're not doing it wrong, but there are five major components to a 21st century classroom. And a lot of these teachers are already doing and just, you know, thinking about things in a 21st century classroom, we really just want to bring these to the forefront so that we are looking through our teaching through this lens. So the first component of a 21st century classroom is the idea that everything is about collaboration, collaboration between students, collaboration between teacher and students, and kind of moving away from that approach that the teacher is the leader and the keeper of all the knowledge. And instead, the teacher is the facilitator and the students are active participants. And so I don't know about you, Megan, but for me, when I was in school, especially in my elementary years, it was very much like I'm in my seat, I'm listening to the teacher, she or he is giving me the knowledge and I'm trying to get it in my brain as quickly as possible. Totally. Yeah, there were not as many hands-on activities and things like that. And there certainly wasn't a lot of collaboration. And so we really want to view the classroom as this collaborative environment. And when we do that, we have to make sure that our rooms are set up in a way that supports collaboration, you know, large, big openings where kids can gather together, big tables instead of, you know, neatly lined desks and only letting our kids sit at those desks, carpet squares where there's there's mobility and students can move around the room. So, you know, the first component is that collaboration piece. Love it. And even hearing that for the collaboration piece first, I think that sometimes when we hear like 21st century, we automatically like miss the whole point of just the relationship piece within it. And so yes. being able to like definitely focus on the collaboration, that is something that teachers can do immediately Mm -hmm. just by creating those spaces and being really intentional. So I love that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And so then the second component, which really just kind of is a great piggyback off of collaboration, is the emphasis on hands-on learning. So we often think of hands-on learning when we're talking about science and, you know, the experiments and things that we're going to do in science, and that's very hands-on. But in a 21st century classroom, we also have to ask ourselves, how can we incorporate immersive lessons and hands-on activities in other areas of our day, aside from the ways where it's really obvious, like in science? 
You know, how can we make reading and writing more hands-on? How can we get students manipulating words and working with words and texts and and books and things like that rather than just sitting and just reading it? You know, how can we make it more hands-on? How can we, in science and social studies, make it so that they're not just reading out of a textbook or they're not just solving a math problem on a piece of paper? So it's really that hands-on component that gets students working with their hands. And when we do that, information, you know, travels from our hands to our brains and it's, it stays there. So it's really important that we get students moving around and working with what they're learning. And I think this is so key too, because when I think about a lot of students who, like you said, for science, they love science. It just makes sense. Like we need mm-hmm. to do the experiments. We have to pour, we have to measure, we have to watch these things happening. And I think that same type of feeling and the same type of action can apply across any subject. You just have to do the work to make it happen. But whenever I think about those other subjects like reading and like writing that a lot of students, you know, might not gravitate toward automatically, just adding that hands-on approach can be the one thing that sparks their excitement and their love and their zest for those subjects that typically don't have a lot of manipulatives or different types of materials like you would find in math and science. And so I love this hands-on piece because when you think about just getting anyone excited about something, when you can think about what can I do to make this hands-on, you're going to automatically get those students excited about it. Absolutely. And I know, I know you're really a big proponent of that too, like in writing and stuff. And and you think about things like interactive notebooks, that's like an easy way to be hands-on and get your students working with what they're learning. So that's super important. And then the third piece of a 21st century classroom is transparent assessment. So the idea here is that we are not trying to trick students. We do not want to give them an assessment of any kind and have them not know upfront what we're expecting from them. So Rubrics are a really great way and a really good 21st century tool to provide transparent instruction. So we, we're going to give them that rubric up front. It's something that we often think of as an assessment tool, but it's actually a really great instructional tool as well because students can say, okay, I see four columns here, four, three, two, one. I know that if I want to get a three, I want to get on grade level. These are the things that my teacher is looking for. And we're going to, we're going to walk them through that. We're going to talk about it in kid friendly language. We're going to give them a rubric in kid-friendly language so that they know exactly what's expected of them. And we're being really transparent with that because we are not trying to trick them and be like, oh, you didn't know that. You should have studied that. You know, we we really want to be upfront with the knowledge that we're trying to have them be successful with. So that's really big and really key for a 21st century classroom. Oh, and when you were speaking, it just automatically got me thinking that I don't know if you had a similar experience. I know that I can probably vouch for a lot of Mm -hmm. teachers having a very similar experience where you have the parents who are coming in saying, my child got a XYZ. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, if there is a rubric or something that, you know, is not trying to trick them, but it's like, this is what's expected to get this score, or this is what's expected to be on grade level. And then also, because it's if it's a rubric, it's already printed, that could easily be shared with a parent or sent home saying, hey, we've went over this and this is what is expected. And then you have like the proof right there to say, this is how it correlates. And yes. so I could totally see that just kind of alleviating a lot of those conversations you have to have when it comes down to, well, how did my child get this score? So rubrics are great, but I also love just the transparent assessment. I've not actually heard that phrase before, mm-hmm. like the transparent in front of it. So I love the transparent assessment because I think that a lot of the time when we are taking tests, we automatically think the person making it is trying to trick us. And it's like, no, I want to see you succeed. So let's go through this together. So I love that. Thanks for sharing it. 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, looking at it from a reading and writing standpoint, with math, it's like, okay, the problem is either right or it's wrong. Whereas in ELA, it's like, you know, how, why is my writing not at grade level? Well, here are the things that on the rubric that I'm looking for. I'm looking for a strong lead. I'm looking for a strong closing. I'm looking for examples in your writing and things like that. So yeah, it's so much more helpful and it's, it's helpful for the student. And then the next component that really just goes right after that is reflection. Obviously, a rubric is going to let itself, you know, we reflect on how we did looking at the rubric, but it goes beyond that. It's when a student learns something new, we want them to reflect on how that knowledge impacts them and how that knowledge impacts or changes what they already knew about the topic. So we're being really reflective. We're giving our students lots of opportunities, intentionally putting into our lesson plans a time when we're going to ask our students to reflect on what they're learning and have them ask how they can personalize it, what they've learned, how they can personalize it, and what questions they still have and what they're still struggling with. So we really just want them to reflect on what they're learning and how it impacts them as a student and as a learner. I oftentimes think that even like, you know, as an adult, it's like I constantly am trying to strive to do that more. And so I just think about bringing that into the classroom. That is something that it does not take very much at all to implement that one act of reflection. But just thinking about how many students, if they're practicing this now, like what they're going to be like when they get a little bit older, even and being able to think about just reflecting on practices and being able to think deeper and go deeper and explore even more. So love the reflection piece. Hey teachers, I'm interrupting this episode for a quick moment because if you're listening to this podcast, then I'll bet you have students who dread writing time. Or maybe you are out of ideas, time, and energy when it comes to planning your writing block. You work so hard, so for once, give yourself the gift of having the planning done for you. My monthly writing prompts are trusted by hundreds of teachers and are a no-prep way to spark your students' interest in writing while highlighting special days that occur worldwide. The best part? There's a prompt for every single day of the year. Did I mention that it's already done for you? So what are you waiting for? Head to theliteracydive.com slash prompts to grab your year-long bundle of writing prompts. And then the last component, which I'm sure everybody thought I was going to lead with, but I intentionally left it for last, is that technology and multimedia piece. And I left it for last because I don't want teachers to come away from this conversation thinking, if I want to have a 21st century classroom, it has to be 100% technology 100% of the time in my classroom. All of these other components, the collaboration, the hands-on learning, the assessment, the transparent assessment reflection, those are all important. And they also feed into, we, we need our technology to support all of that, all of those things. We want it to be collaborative. We want our technology and multimedia to be hands-on and all that. So I saved it for last, but I would be missing out if I didn't say that it was a huge part of a 21st century classroom. It does play a huge role in our students' learning and mostly because our students are digital natives. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but they are digital natives who speak technology. And so we have to speak to them in their native language. Right. I'm one of the ones where I said, oh, number one, hands down, it's going to be technology. But I love that you left it last because this is just making it so much clearer as a picture of that a 21st century classroom. Definitely, yes, it involves technology, but there's so much more that we can be able to do 
to make these students just thriving within their environment and thriving within their communities because that's what they're around. Absolutely. And you did throw out Digital Native. And I know that we've chatted a little bit and I've, you know, listened to your podcast and things like that. But that is a term that I also, I, I don't use it every day. That's a term that I, I honestly didn't use at all before listening to it. And so if I'm going to be transparent and say, I really wasn't sure like what that was, <laughs> I know that people listening are probably thinking, wait, she said the term digital native. What, yeah. what is that? So could you tell us what is a digital native? Absolutely. So it's really not a complicated term. It really just refers to students who have grown up with technology and have adapted to it. So anybody who has young kids or works closely with young kids, which is all of the people who are listening today, they know that it does not take any instruction at all for a student or a young child to be on, like, say, your phone and know that that little arrow in the back in the upper right hand corner, left hand corner of your screen means that if they click it, they go back. There isn't a single student, a young student and kid who doesn't know to swipe left or swipe right to see the next picture in your phone or whatever, because they have grown up around it. It's not a skill that they've had to learn because it's all around them. So it is literally their language that they speak. They speak technology. They speak all things digital. And because of that, we have to incorporate that into our classrooms as much as possible so that we can speak to them in their language. And since this is the world we live in, there's been a lot of study and research on how learning through technology and multimedia is processed by the brain and the positive impact it has on students. I think a lot of times we hear the negative impact that technology has on students, but when it comes to using meaningful technology and multimedia, we can have a humongous impact and in a positive way on student learning. Okay, thank you for that definition. It makes total sense. And as you were speaking, it made it brought me to a, a memory that I had, which was not that long ago, literally a couple of months ago. And I was with my three-year-old niece and I was trying to X out. And you know how some websites, it has like the X, but it's like kind of hidden and you can't find where it is. And so I was getting so frustrated on my phone because I was trying to like get this off my screen so I could find something. And my little uh, niece, she's like, Auntie Maggie, let, you know, do you need help? And I was like, oh, no, I'm just trying to get this off my screen. She's like, let <laughs> me help you. And she literally like knew where to find it. And then it was gone. And I was like, oh my goodness, like I've been trying to find this thing for a good, you know, 75 seconds, just fidgeting. And she just comes over and like knows what to do and can get me back to the home mm -hmm. screen. And so I'm like, wow, she's three. My three-year-old son, I can hear him at nighttime. Sometimes he's got a little Google home in his in his room and he plays music on it. And I'll hear him say, okay, Google, play peaceful <laughs> piano on Spotify. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's just, it's crazy. So if you're in the classroom right now, you are in a classroom full of digital natives because that is what the world is. And this is the language that they speak. So could you talk a little bit about what multimedia instruction is, because that was another word that I know that you've used. And just so that we are clear about what that is when it comes to instruction, and then also how the multimedia in general can be able to impact student learning. Absolutely. So multimedia, you know, it is a term that we hear often, but just in a in an educational sense, we can, you know, really specify what it is. So we can define multimedia learning as the delivery of instructional content using multiple modes through both visual and auditory. So we're talking things like images and graphics and video and audio and any other kind of like interactive digital content. Those are all multimedia modes. And when we offer them up together, we are really presenting information in a multimedia instructional way. 
And we've learned that the brain processes information using two channels, which is the visual and the auditory. And students use information from both the visual and the auditorial channels to construct knowledge. And what we've discovered is that when the brain is offered both channels together, the brain is actually able to take in more information than if they were just absorbing and consuming information through one channel. So when we take advantage of multiple mediums, like that multimedia, the images, graphics, and videos, we can dramatically enhance student learning. And so in the classroom, this has a huge impact, of course, of you know what we want to think of as teachers as we're putting together our lessons. And so if I could get a little nerdy with your audience. Let's do it. Yeah, just a little bit of research. And I will be honest, I am not a research person. I did not, like in college, love like the paper writing and all that. But I do think it's important to know why certain things work so that we can really embrace it and adopt it as our own philosophy. So I'm going to get a little nerdy for just a quick minute, if that's okay. We know that through research that we have two types of memory. And so we have the long-term memory and working memory. And so our long-term memory is where what we already know, our background knowledge is stored. So teachers often refer to this as schema. We even use this word with our students sometimes. And so schema, you know, helps us chunk and organize information into our brains and put it in our long-term memory. And then we can draw upon that information later on. And we can integrate what we already know with what we're learning now, some new information. So our brains chunk everything together, they put it in our long-term memory, and then when we learn new information, we can integrate it. But before that information can go into our long-term memory, it has to first be processed by our working memory. And so our working memory is always taking in new information. Anytime we're learning something in the classroom, our students are using their working memory and they're processing new information. And hopefully what we want, the goal, is that they take what they've learned, what they're learning in their working memory, and they transfer it to their long-term memory and hopefully it stays there. But here's the problem. If new information that we're learning using our working memory does not find its way to the long-term memory parts of our brain quickly, it's lost. It's gone. And I actually heard a piece of research one time that our working memory can only take like 20 seconds of new information at a time. And then if it's not transferred, it's gone. So that's a big problem for teachers because we're trying to get a lot of information into the long-term memory. And if we don't help them get it there faster, we lose those connections and we just can't keep that information in our brains. So here is where multimedia is super important. So that's the nerdy part. (laughs) So all that to say is that we have to ask ourselves, how can we help students transfer new information from their working memory into their long-term memory before it's too late? And that's the challenge that teachers face every single day. And the answer is multimedia. So remember that I said that, you know, we have these two channels, the visual and the auditory channels, and our working memory is what's putting those two channels to work. So The auditory channel handles information that's heard, obviously, and the visual channel is going to handle what we're seeing. But here's the exciting part. When when we present that information, visual and audio together through multimedia, and we activate both of those channels, working memory can actually handle more information overall. So that's why the use of multimedia learning, which does present information in both channels, can have such a great impact on student learning because we want to get the biggest bang for our buck, so to speak. So we we really want to use that multimedia to really just spark both their visual and their audio channels at the same time, especially when we're learning trickier concepts and helping struggling readers. Multimedia is really critical in that aspect. 
Wow. Okay. So I, if anyone else, they're like, oh my gosh, like your excitement and your passion behind this, I think is just like so exciting along with the research. And this is so, this is so true. So with that being said, Mm -hmm. we have heard like this incredible, like we know that this is happening. We know that there are these two channels. We know how important it is to merge it together. So what can teachers do now that they're, we're getting the buy-in. So what can they do to use multimedia in effective ways, effective multimedia to break down barriers to learning that's occurring within their classrooms. Yeah, absolutely. I think the main word there that you use is effective because really we don't want to just be throwing any kind of multimedia or technology at our students. We want it to be effective. And so we know, again, through research, that there are a few things that we know about what makes multimedia effective. And the first one, and this is going to be something that teachers already know, is that words and pictures are better than just words alone. So when a student is first learning to read, we know that we're like, okay, look at the pictures. If you don't know that word, what's something in the picture that might help you? So we've got the word and we've got the graphics. So that's you know the first thing. Words and pictures together are better than just words alone. We also know that multimedia learning is more effective when it's interactive and under the control of the learner. So that brings us back to what we were talking about at the beginning about being hands-on activities that are self-paced and student control will help increase the success of your students. When students can stop and start something all on their own, when they can go at their own pace, when they can manipulate the screen or whatever they're working on, they are going to get more out of that learning experience than, again, if they're just sitting and just listening or just sitting and reading. So we we really want to make it interactive and under their control. And A third thing that makes it really effective is when multimedia includes animation. So this is especially helpful for trickier concepts that are hard to understand. Animation can really breathe life into unfamiliar content, presenting it in a way that's really going to break down and make something more applicable to students. So animation that includes both the visual and it's accompanied by like maybe a narration. So if you love using Brain Pop, This is a great example of this. They've got the animation that's maybe showing students a tricky concept or just a concept in general, but now they also have the animation going on along with it. That's, again, going to activate both our auditory and our visual channels and put them together. And then we also know that multimedia is most effective when it actively engages the learner. So a perfect example of this is if there's a character on the computer screen that's talking directly to a student. So if the character uses words like I and you and it's more conversational, the student is going to be drawn in and they're going to be engaged. And then lastly, multimedia is most effective when the same information is presented in a variety of ways. So whether you're first presenting it in print and then you're going to show that same information in audio and then maybe a video or other visuals, If you're showing and giving students multiple ways and opportunities to learn new information from a variety of angles, each time they see it, they're going to get something new out of it. They're going to take it from their working memory and transfer it into their long-term memory because we're giving them so many opportunities to make that transfer. This is so good because ultimately when you went through those five different ideas, I was just thinking, how fun. Like This just Mm -hmm. sounds so fun. And When thinking about moving from a traditional textbook or a traditional worksheet or the things that are very easy to do, you know, using the words and pictures, I I instantly was thinking about we all have the students who are ELL, you know, new to the Mm -hmm. new to the language and, you know, new to the country. And so that's just a great way to support them. But that also supports students who are born in the country 
And then just thinking about the animations, I was thinking when you mentioned Brain Pop, I was like, yes, like think about how many kids are just peering at the TV or your smart board just in awe for that quick three minute clip. Mm -hmm. And then they're regurgitating what they just learned because it was presented in another way that wasn't me robotically talking to the kids. Absolutely. I get really excited about hearing these different ways to activate knowledge and to help students, especially when it comes to reading and doing different parts of the literacy block. And so also the last thing you shared about the variety of ways, I think that's Mm -hmm. so key because even though I have my main ways of the ways that I learn best, there are some topics where another type of, you know, medium actually helps me better. And so being able to know that you are presenting that information in a variety of ways is really going to help to make that gel. It's going to make it to become, you know, secondhand and to be stored into your schema, your background knowledge, just like you were mentioning. Absolutely. So I love that so much. So good. So now that we have all of this incredible, just this, we understand these terms, we understand, you know, what we're facing in the classrooms if we are making the choice to be a teacher in this 21st century, how can teachers implement more of this 21st century instruction and multimedia in their everyday teaching? Absolutely. So my first piece of advice would be to start simple. If you are just embarking on your multimedia adventure, you do not have to have a video and then have some digital exploration. You know, like start simple. You do not have to go big or go home when you are first starting out. So I really want teachers to give themselves that grace to kind of lean into this at a gradual pace. And, you know, when I think about my own journey into teaching with multimedia, I think back to like my very first years of teaching and like feeling bad asking students to open up a textbook. And now we're going to read this. I want you to read chapter one and two, and then I want you to answer the questions at the end of the chapter. But, you know, those are the only resources that I had available. I taught in a very high needs district. So I had just that available to me, you know, and so over time, I would try out different ways to make it more fun because we know fun is really just like a key to getting students to buy into what you're doing. And so maybe now I would have them read with a partner. So now they're going to get that auditory, their partner's going to be reading it out loud, and they're going to be seeing it at the same time. So it's a real simple way to just add another element in. And then I got a little bit more brave and I had students kind of become experts, you know, and I would divide out whatever was in the textbook. I'd say, okay, this group, you're going to become an expert on this section and then you're going to become an expert on this section. And then I would have them maybe make a poster to share with their peers to teach their other classmates about the section that they became quote unquote experts on. So now we're adding in a more visual element to it. And so layer by layer, I kind of added on more and more multimedia, more elements to just other than just looking at the textbook. And then we're early 2000s here. So, you know, we didn't have as much as we have available to us, but we did have PowerPoint and that was huge. Like that was like the flashy thing that we had in the classroom. And, you know, I would start having my students make their own PowerPoint presentations instead of maybe having them make the poster. Now, maybe they're going to use a template that I created in PowerPoint and they're going to put in the information and present it to the class. So we're kind of like little baby steps getting towards that multimedia, more 21st century instruction. And, you know, fast forward through lots of PowerPoints and things like that. <laughs> the I created what, you know, I call now the Linktivity, which is we call it a multimedia edu venture with a edu venture at the beginning. I and love we, that. <laughs> we call it that because we have we've taken everything that we've learned over the years and all the trials and 
you know, the things that work with students and things that don't. And we kind of package them all together in this multimedia edu venture where students can now with just one single device, they can watch a video about something, they can read something, they can have, uh, there's a character on the screen that maybe is talking to them. So we've taken everything that we've learned and even Linktivities themselves have evolved over time. You know, they used to be way simpler than they are now. And we've just, we just keep pouring ourselves back into what's working with students. We keep pouring ourselves back into what does the research say about what students need as a 21st century student, as a digital native. And we have just kind of had this slow evolution into trying to, to bring all of these pieces together for our students and to give them something that they can relate to and that speaks to them in their own language. So I, I just would encourage teachers to take it slow. You know, you we have little things available to us, like you can now add audio into Google Slides. So maybe a teacher who has a struggling student can just record really easily the directions on the Google Slide for the student. Or, you know, maybe we you can start putting podcasts into your listening center Podcasts are huge now. There's so many topics that you can find for students, not for adults, but like kid podcasts. There's so many great things. You know, start maybe having them do their own podcast if you're feeling really brave. <laughs> There's lots of tools out there that can get students using multimedia, not just consuming it, but also creating it themselves. This is so good. I, I'm just like beaming because my mind is just going in so many ways of how simple, like you said, it can be like starting simple. Mm-hmm. And even your one action of starting simple could make the biggest change within your classroom with your students if they have never experienced that before. Yeah. Or if you make it a goal to say, okay, I'm going to start with this one idea that I can start doing every single day and just watching how your students are responding to it. And I think the response that you get back is going to be what says, okay, let me try a second thing. And I also have worked in only Title I schools. And so Mm -hmm. we did not have, you know, a lot of technology and a lot of resources. And we kind of got what we got. And so, but I love how you broke apart, even if you have a textbook, how you can still make that with the collaboration, you can still make it to where it can be just a whole different experience than reading from a textbook and answering the questions from chapters one through three. So I really loved that. But I think just like remembering to start slow and using what you have. And I know that even though I didn't have access to a lot of technology and a lot of resources, I had pretty collaborative teams. And so I'm just thinking back to whenever we would kind of divide and conquer, maybe there's something that I could be able to take on that I could share with my team. And then maybe there's something that they could do and share it with me. And then before you know it, you have four different ideas that you could bring to your classroom. But you mentioned these linktivities. And yes, I got familiar with them through you seeing it on your store, on your pages. And I'm like, oh, actually, I saw it on a Facebook ad. So, you know, I've seen these linktivities, but these might be something that's very new to this audience who's listening today. So is there a way that they can try one of these? Do you have one available that they could be able to try and just put their hands on and just use it with their students? Absolutely, Megan. Thank you so much for asking about it because we really are like, I hope it shows through my voice how passionate we are about just getting resources into the hands of students so that they actually, you can spark the love of learning for students and and grab them where they are, but also support them where they are. And we know that we can support teachers and students through multimedia. So thank you for asking about that. But yes, we have a free link to I would love to share with your audience. We have one, it's for nonfiction text features. Ooh, perfect. <laughs> Yeah, it's something that every teacher is going to teach. And it's also something that teachers don't love to teach because it's it can be boring. You know, there's 
there's a lot of topics out there that you're like, I got to teach this. And you almost want to get up in front of your students and be like, I'm sorry, guys, I got to teach this to you. It's not that exciting, but here it is. And so we are using Linktivities to kind of flip the script and make it fun for students. And so we have this free Linktivity. I will give you the link for it so you can share it with your audience. And it'll just be a way for teachers to kind of get a taste because it is kind of hard to visualize what a Linktivity is until you actually get it in your hands and get it in your students' hands and using it. But I think once they do, they'll see like they'll see how it all comes together, how you can have all these elements of multimedia together in one package for students. For sure. Thank you so much for that. And yes, if you are listening, you can find this link in the show notes. Just go ahead, grab it, try it. And again, when you mentioned nonfiction text features, I was like, oh mm-hmm. gosh, because that is, you know, when we think about those pain points, it's like there are things that you have to teach as a teacher. But if you are not passionate about it, you are mm-hmm. probably not going to be thorough with it. You're not going to be excited about it. So why not tap into these other resources that can help support you teaching it and get this information into the hands of your students? And so thank you so much, Rachel, for you and yeah. your husband for creating these and for sharing this with our audience. And then you are just fascinating to me because (laughs) I have seen people who, you know, definitely include technology or they have a Google Slides. And that's kind of how we say, yes, we're incorporating it's 21st century, but you and your husband take it up 10 notches to turning this into a really just incredible, engaging way that students can be able to learn a variety of topics. And so the amount that you all pour into these Linktivities, I think is just like, it blows my mind, but I can tell and see your passion through it because it is not easy to create. But the type of reaction that students have with them, I think is like what probably keeps you all, it fuels you all and keeps you all going. So we will leave that in the show notes for sure. Thank you so much. And I also, you know, it's all about the students, but it also is like we know how hard it is for teachers to create these resources on their own to implement all of these different modes of of technology on their own. So, you know, we really want it to be easy for teachers too. We don't want teachers to think that this is one more thing that's on their plate. We really want to have these like ready to go and easy for teachers to implement in their classroom because we know they want to do the right thing. They want to engage their students in a 21st century classroom, but it's hard to do it all on your own. So we're here to help. Thank you. Well, thank you. Well, Rachel, you have just been a wealth of knowledge with just explaining what this is and the ways that teachers can be able to implement these really, really great action steps. I mean, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for sharing. And I know if anyone is like me, when I first kind of came across you, they are wondering, how can I learn more, which you just have so many ways for people to be able to connect with you. So for our listeners, how can teachers get in contact with you and get to kind of know the different types of things that you have to offer? Sure. So thank you. They can find me at classroomnook.com, which is like kind of the hub of the way I support teachers, resources, my podcast, the classroom commute. It's all linked up there. But then if they do want to learn more about Linktivities, they can go to just linktivitylearning.com and everything is there as well. And of course, social media, they can follow me in two places, the Classroom Nook and Linktivity Learning. So they have their pick. <laughs> Perfect. And so these Linktivities, they can be able to explore with them as they are needed. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I am so grateful for you. If you are listening again, all of what she shared is going to be in the show notes. So do not feel like you have to (laughs) scribble and write it all down. Mm -hmm. It is going to be linked beautifully for you in our show notes. Definitely just go and check out Rachel, what she has to offer. It is incredible. And I know it's just going to change the game for your students. So thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you, Megan. 
Thanks so much for tuning in today. Come hang out with me over on Instagram at The Literacy Dive. I would love to hear from you in my DMs. If you are enjoying this podcast, be sure to hit that follow button and share this with a friend. I'll catch you in the next episode.